It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the show tonight... I have two fantastic guests for you. First up, we're going to talk to food writer and consultant Ali Dunworth about a number of different Irish chefs who are making a huge impact on the food scene in London. And closer to home, Cathy Curran, communications manager with the National Dairy Council, joins us to tell us about the Dairy Chef competition. But before we hear from our two lovely guests this evening, may I take this opportunity to remind you about how you can make contact with me here at The Best Possible Taste. You can drop me an email, sharon at sharonnoonan.com, or you can tweet me at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. And I'm also on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So it's always a pleasure to have food writer and consultant Ali Dunworth on the programme. And tonight Ali joins us to tell us about an array of wonderful Irish chefs who are London based and making a huge impression on the food scene and bringing the quality of Irish ingredients to the fore. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Ali, great to have you on the programme tonight. And we're going to talk a bit about London. You had a fantastic piece in the Food and Wine magazine there recently about some amazing chefs in London that are Irish, in fact. But before we come on to that, you are no stranger to London because you worked there and you lived there for a number of years. I did. um, I moved to London in 2002 which someone pointed out to me the other day was 20 years ago. I was 21 and I moved over there to go to university. Um, I did like a degree in journalism, but in fashion college. And I got a job in a bar straight away, as you do through my cousin's friend owned pubs in Covent Garden. So I think that's what everyone does when they come to London. You have I lived with my dad's cousin. You always have the connections. And I went into a bar in Covent Garden Trafalgar Square and from that I ended up getting to know sort of the restaurant scene around there and I also read Kitchen Confidential at the time and I became really obsessed with the whole world of chefs and cooking and London was the epicenter then I think it still is now but really it was very exciting then compared to like what you'd grown up around and I stayed in restaurants so when I graduated I ended up kind of combining my journalism and broadcasting degree with my restaurant contacts and chefs and ended up working in food TV. So that was a kind of unexpected, but very exciting sort of world to get into. And one of the chefs that we're going to talk about tonight is maybe known to a number of people because of TV, like Saturday Kitchen, Ready Steady Cook would have been one of the popular ones um, a good few years ago as well. And that's Anna Howe. I've actually heard her podcast, I think, with the gastro gaze, and she sounds like a really fun person to be around. Yeah, I mean, Anna is brilliant. I actually didn't meet her in London. I met her back in Dublin the first year she came and did a demo at Taste of Dublin and I was working in the festival and I had seen like her CV and the restaurant she had worked at in London Um, she'd worked a lot with Anthony Dimitri who was a chef I had 
worked with and eaten in his restaurants and knew the kind of skill set she would have from that. So it was really exciting to talk to her. And like she has then like catapulted herself since then. She worked for, I think she left there, worked for Bob Bob Ricard. She's opened her own place now called Myrtle in Chelsea and it's beautiful. And she also is all over TV there. So she does Saturday Kitchen, but she also I think it's on a morning BBC show all the time now. And she is absolute. she's one of the soundest people you'll ever meet as well, which really helps. All the other chefs that are featured in the article that you wrote, they're very, very proud of the best of Irish ingredients. Yeah, and in Anna's restaurant, she has a kind of Irish tasting menu. So she has the tasting menu done by county. So she'll have ingredients from each county. But when I spoke to all the chefs, they were all very passionate about using Irish stuff and they just include it. So they're all very ingredient led chefs anyway and very locally focused. So they're using the kind of the best of British and they're incorporating Irish stuff in. Um, like Robin Gill had said to him, and he's, you know, really a great success story for Irish chefs in London. He's kind of one of the hottest chefs in London anyway. And then he happens to be Irish. He's opening two more places this year. And everywhere he opens is super cool. But he had said to me that he's gotten more patriotic the longer he's been away from Ireland. And he's always searching for those ingredients. And like the Irish larder, the kind of that is available in the UK is brilliant. I know a lot of them use Abernethy butter in the top end restaurants there. Um, even the non-Irish chefs, they a lot of them use Peter Hannan's meat, which is Irish. Like that would be, I think Mark Hicks would have brought that in, first of all, to all his restaurants. When you go into Harrods and Selfridges, the shelves are full of Irish products. The fridges are full of Irish products. It's great. And I think that just reaffirms that what these chefs are doing in terms of Irish ingredients, it's not tokenism. No. The reason they use them are because they are the best. Yeah, and the chefs I wrote about, like none of them, they never put something on the menu for the sake of it being Irish. They're all, as I said, ingredient-led chefs. And if something is brilliant, they want to use it. Um, Marguerite Cho, who's from Clare, and she has a Michelin star in the restaurant Five Fields in Chelsea. Like she was talking about using the Irish cheeses and she makes Irish soda bread like every day in the restaurant and it's because they're great it's not because she wants to add Irishness in. Absolutely and you mentioned the Abernethy butter there and you actually have a dairy chef that's the first chef that you write about her name is Shauna Freudenlund. Yeah she and actually since I wrote about her she was the chef patron with her husband in Marcus Waring's restaurant in Belgravia. And, you know, she's worked in very high-end kitchens for her whole career in London. But since I wrote the piece, they have announced that they are finishing up there. They have finished up. And I believe they're coming back to Northern Ireland to open a restaurant. And that's really exciting when the talent sort of comes home. Um, and we've seen that recently as well, like Kevin Burke, who I just did an event with him down in Clare. He was in London for years cooking again in Michelin Star Restaurant. And he's come back to Dublin and opened Library Street. And it's great because he comes home with like new skill set, kind of new enthusiasm and really wants to get involved and embrace all the producers in Ireland. And we've loads like that, like Barry Fitzgerald, you know, Bastable and Club Russell House. Again, he was 
in London for years, Michelin star cooking, came home. So it's nice to have them in London, but it's also great when they come home. Absolutely. And I was actually at an event the other night and there was a lot of talent at it who had lived abroad, left Ireland maybe 10 or 20 years ago when it was a very different place in terms of the food scene. And now that they're back, they have been attracted back for the right reasons, but they are really blown away by what we have to offer here in Ireland now. Yeah, and it's an exciting place to be. Um, and I don't know, maybe sometimes it might, it's still not easy to open a restaurant anywhere, but maybe there's less barriers to entry in Ireland than there might be in London. But the other thing that I mentioned in the article, which is always worth looking at as well, is the Murphia list. It blows me away every year. Hot Dinners, which is a London-based sort of eating um, restaurant website. And the, the brother-sister duo who run that are second-generation Irish, really passionate about all things Irish. So they started to spot a few years ago that in a lot of the top restaurants, in the kitchens and front of house and in managerial in media that there was a lot of Irish people so every year kind of around the time St. Patrick's Day they release 50 there are 50 lists of the most influential Irish people in food and drink in London and like it's always cool because it's they highlight the back of house front of house the kitchen even people like Diana Henry like some of the best regarded writers in the UK and we're like she's ours you know we love to have ownership of any of the Irish talents in the UK. And of course, Diana Henry is from the north and she's from the same neck of the woods as Claire Smith would be, who is Michelin star chef, who used to work with Gordon Ramsay. I mean, Claire Smith is probably the best regarded or the most accoladed chef in the UK at the moment. And she's Irish and female, which is brilliant. And yeah, she's not a lot of people with three stars and their own name above restaurants so it's really cool to have her and of course you can't mention like sort of I consider him the godfather of them all and he would have been good to me when I met him in London early on is Richard Cargan and like he's just I mean I'm sure you've met him he's such a character and he's been cooking brilliant Irish food for decades in London and is still doing it and is opening a new place in Camden and his daughter is involved in the industry as well she runs a really good uh, PR firm Crab Communications and she kind of then works with a lot of the younger cool chefs but like Richard's still supporting everybody he can and the same with Anna Anna Haw and Shauna I actually met them in London at a women's network event an Irish women in business network event and they were doing a talk about that and they were all talking about like trying to support as many young people as they can um, especially if they happen to be Irish and they've just moved over. And Richard is kind of keeping his his feet in one foot in both camps because he has Virginia Lodge up in Cavan plus then all the different restaurants over in London. Yeah and like he's very good at it and he has obviously an amazing team around him and it's cool to see like a lot of the family involved but I had written this into the article, but had taken it out. But I remember eating in Richard's um, restaurant, Lindsay House, which was in Soho. And I'm going to say I ate there. It must have been the early 2000s. And he had this really cool restaurant there that had a Michelin star. And it was very much kind of pared back. Like it wouldn't be out of place today. If he opened it today, you'd be like, 
this is a really cool spot. And I remember going there and eating like crew beans and black pudding. And that's what he had on the menu like 20 years ago in Soho. And like he, he was relevant then and he's still relevant now and still supporting everybody. So I think that's brilliant. And tell me about Max Rocca. I haven't heard of him before. Oh, well, he's like, again, one of the hottest chefs, restaurant openings in London. So Max is a great chef, but also happens to be the son of John Rocha and sister of Simone Rocha. So they would be very well known. And he opened the restaurant, I think only like during around the end of lockdown in East London, which is really cool anyway. But again, his restaurant is, and it sort of reminds me a bit of what Lindsay House was like then, because it's very pared back. There's really simple ingredients, but done really well. It is full of like the coolest people. You can tell every table, like you want to eavesdrop on the conversations. It's that kind of restaurant. Um, and he's doing great stuff. Like St. Patrick's Day, he did a, a chicken fillet roll pop-up this year and like DC Fontaine's and Kojak were DJing there. So he knows all that. I think he did a lot of catering for um, music industry before the, he started the restaurant. So he has all the kind of connections as well, which is brilliant. But it's cool to see him in all the London lists as well, not just in the Irish list. And he has been reviewed. Like Katie McGuinness uh, reviewed him and gave him a great review, I think um, last year. So, yeah, she was raving about him as well. And speaking of music, I read in the section that you did with with Anna and Myrtle, like she'd have the cranberries and the cores on playing in the background. Yeah, in her restaurant, like in a way it could be a bit twee, but it works. I think um, she's got like pewter, Mullingar pewter goblets on the table for your water. She's got Newbridge silver like the cranberries are playing it everything's painted a sort of sage green so there's definitely like an irishness to it that you would not expect in the middle of chelsea but she makes it work the attention to detail sounds amazing yeah yeah she's thought through everything yeah and tell me about Nick Fitzgerald, because anybody that's gone to London that's into the whole market scene there have probably come across him in Borough Market. Yeah, and he's in Borough Market. And like, obviously, you wouldn't know from at all that there's anything Irish about his stand because it's called uh, Taco Padra. And it's very Mexican, very Spanish. Um, he is originally from Ireland and his mother was Spanish. And I think he spent a lot of his summer in Spain. And then when he started cooking and traveling, he worked in Mexico and kind of learned from some really good restaurants over there. And I think he was just passionate about opening somewhere that does really good tacos in London. And yeah, it's, it's really good. He's again, cool. He kind of um, doing exciting things. And I think he's definitely one to watch. We ask him if he'll come and open in Dublin all the time, but not so far, but maybe one day. You never know. And it's great to see that the, both sides of the border are represented in the article. There's a couple of Dubliners there. There's the Clare person. And then, of course, the final person that we're going to talk about there from Kerry. Kenneth. So, yeah, I'd spoken to him a few times for different things, but he is cooking in a really beautiful restaurant in Petersham. Dysart and they have 
I think their Michelin star 2019. But yeah, it's great. I mean, everybody loves Kerry, so it's always good to have a, a, a Kerry man um, representing in London. And there was actually loads more that I couldn't fit on that list because like, you know, you'll see the Murphy list and there's a lot more, but like Patrick Powell, who is a really great chef and he's worked in a lot of the very cool spots in London. Um, there's another guy like Gareth Fitzgerald who has a, when you were talking about the kind of market stall and things a bit more casual, he has like a sandwich uh, thing called Butchie. So he does fried chicken and stuff like that. Really cool. Like I could have done five more pages at least. And I think it's fair to say that London is maybe a bit further ahead than Ireland would be in terms of the food scene. So it's a great place to kind of get your start and see what works and what you enjoy and then bring it back to Ireland. Yeah. And I think that that gap is shortening. Like I would have thought a few years ago where we're sometimes we were 10 years behind some of the stuff that was happening. But now you know, the world is smaller in a way, even though we've traveled less in the last few years. I think Instagram is a great one for chefs connecting and sharing ideas. Um, but it still doesn't work, obviously, to see something on Instagram and then try and replicate it. But it is great to have that kind of network open for the chefs. And I think people go over and eat in London a lot more, do stages. Like a lot of the London chefs will come here for events. Like I work on the big grill. I would always try and get as there's loads of great barbecue chefs over there so it is great to see I, yeah I don't think we're that far behind as we used to be but always yeah a few years and tell me whenever you go over there now do you feel that gosh you really miss London and you'd like to be back there or do you are you happy enough with those little short visits on a regular basis yes and no I love London I would never rule out going back and spending time there and I still have loads of friends there and like you can't you know the level of kind of eating and drinking you can do there in a few days is intense and expensive <laughs> but I always think you come back with sort of a renewed um, book of ideas but also a renewed confidence in what we are doing here like you definitely go somewhere and go oh but actually we sort of do that but maybe we do some things better and like like the one thing you can't replicate is the pubs. Anything we have that's sort of casual and fun, I think we will always do better than London, especially the pubs. But yeah, I mean, it, I just, anyone who's into food, I think loves to go and visit. And like you could go to London 20 times and still be eating in new and different places. Um, and I missed that during the lockdown because I would tend to go prior to that every like six to eight weeks I would go over so you'd be ticking off your wish list of restaurants as you go whereas I went last November for a week and yeah it was a bit overwhelming I have to say I think I definitely ate too much. That's the way to do it I think and enjoy it and make the most of it. Great to go through that article with you a really fantastic article for anybody that that wants to have a look at it. It was in Food and Wine magazine, which is it comes out every month now on the first Sunday of every month with the Sunday Business Post. And we look forward to more articles in the publication from you, Ali, in the future. Thank you. And it is online. I, um, so I'm sure I can send you on the link as well if anybody wants to catch up on it. And of course, anybody that wants to keep up to date with where you're eating, what you're enjoying, the best place for them to go to is your Instagram account. 
Yeah, so it's just um, Ali Dunworth, ALI. And I, yeah, I always have a London highlight up there. So I'll always have a list of places saved there that I've been to. And if anyone wants a map, I always have Google Maps wherever I go. They can just drop me a message and I'll share it with them. And every Friday you're great at, at sharing some food news on a Friday. Yeah, on Friday I love to do a roundup because we get a lot of press releases and sort of messages on Instagram of new stuff happening. So as much as I can, I try and kind of filter it down and share the stuff that I'm interested in. It's great to have a spot to do it on. And it's nice that people follow it and kind of ask me about it each week. So yeah, I'm enjoying it. Well, look, it's a, it's a great resource for people that are going to London and indeed anywhere else and to keep up to date with what events are happening in Ireland also. So we appreciate you taking the time to do that and to share that with everybody. And thanks a million for talking to me tonight, Ali. Thank you. Talk to you soon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, food writer and consultant Ali Dunworth told us about an array of wonderful Irish chefs who are London-based and making a huge impression on the food scene and bringing the quality of Irish ingredients to the fore. And as Ali said, her article, London Calling, that featured in the April issue of Food & Wine magazine, is available online if you would like to read it in full, and it is definitely well worth the full read. If you are just tuning in now and you've missed that, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as all the usual places where you find the podcasts, including iTunes and the podcast app. Now, last week here on The Best Possible Taste, we heard about two different awards in the food and drinks industry, the Blossnerin Irish Food Awards and the Irish Food Writers Guild Annual Awards. Tonight, we're turning our attention to Chef Awards and we're joined now by Cathy Curran, Communications Manager with the National Dairy Council, to hear about the Dairy Chef Competition. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Cathy, thank you so much for joining us on The Best Possible Taste. Tonight, we're going to talk about a competition that is specifically for students who are training to be chefs. Tell us what it's called and what it's all about. Yeah, sure. So um, in 2018, we set up a competition called Dairy Chef in tandem with, at the time, it was DIT um, in Colborough Street. Um, and it was ourselves, the National Dairy Council in Ireland and the French Dairy Council, Canil in Paris. Um, so it's culinary students in Ireland and in France. And it's a competition that was conceived to encourage, I suppose, cross-country collaboration because we work very closely together. And also the universities have very good connections between uh, European universities uh, for Erasmus, um, as you know, for the exchange program that, that works away between different colleges across Europe. So we set up this competition where French and Irish culinary students compete in team pairs, basically. So one French student, one Irish student, and they have to create a three course menu with French and Irish dairy produce in each course as a kind of star ingredient. So it was a way, I suppose, for us to promote 
um, the taste and provenance and excellence of, of dairy produce in both countries and also for culinary students to have an opportunity to travel um, to either France or Ireland to take part. Um, so the first year in 2018 was held in Colborough Street DIT in Dublin, um, which is now Grange Gorman, as you know, and it's technological university, it's being renamed. Um, and then the second year we were in Paris in 2019 at the um, CF Metric uh, Catering College in central Paris. Then we had a two-year gap, as you can quite imagine. I don't need to tell you how, why that was. Um, and then we reconvened this year um, in GMIT in Galway, where the third year of Dairy Chef was held last week. So it was held last Wednesday. And we had six French culinary students and six Irish culinary students taking part in pairs um, and cooking in the GMIT kitchens in Galway. Um, and it was very sort of, I suppose, prestigious. We had a lot of very prestigious uh, judges taking part. On the Irish side, we had Paula Stakelam, who is head pastry chef at Ashford Castle. We had John McKenna, who is celebrated food writer and commentator. Um, and then we had a representative from the French Embassy in Dublin um, also taking part in the judging. And from the French side, we had um, the head chef from the Ministry of Food and Foreign Affairs in Paris, who flew over. Um, and the head chef of the Irish Embassy in Paris um, was judging on the French side. So some really prestigious, high profile um, judges involved. And it was a really a fantastic day at GMIT. Um, Jacinta Dalton, as you probably know, heads up the Food and Culinary Arts programme there, um, headed over by Coach Noon, who is very well known in food circles. Um, so the, the chefs, the culinary students cooked away in the morning time. They had a cook off. Um, and then the judges judged the three course meals. So a bit like MasterChef, um, they, they tasted then the three courses and there was a, a two, two people uh, awarded the prize at the end. And we had a lovely dinner then in the evening that was attended by the mayor of Galway and the French ambassador um, to Ireland. So, so it was a really great competition. It's the third year of it and it's just a lovely way to forge, you know, really nice ties between the culinary institutions in Ireland and in France. So a lot of the tutors would have attended with their students, the Irish tutors um, from various catering colleges around Ireland would have come along for the day and, and sort of supported their students um, in, in the cook-off. So, so yeah, it's a really great competition. Um, and from the students' perspective then to enter it, um, it starts in September, does it, at the start yes. of the, the academic year? And what's the first stage in the competition? So they first have to sort of... Um, to send in a, a three-course menu that they work in the pairs. So you can imagine there's one student in France and one in Ireland and they're paired up at that time in September. Um, so they, they meet each other online and they then have to put together a menu um, and cook that menu and photograph it. So that forms part of the application to, to enter the competition. So really it was incredibly high standard that we had these photos and the beautiful recipes from each of the, the pair of students that were entering. Um, and I think the closing date was just before Christmas. They came together in September and they had to cook each course and photograph it. In some cases, they sent a video and that was sent in to the judging panel for judging. And then they shortlisted it um, after Christmas in January um, for the cook-off to take place. So then there were the six students from Ireland and six from, from France. And each pair was then um, uh, informed that they were taking part. And then on the day, they were given a mystery basket of ingredients. Um, so a bit like you'd see on BBC MasterChef that they're sort of, you have sort of to think on your feet and you're given 
a, a box of ingredients um, with a large cross section of that being French and Irish dairy produce and, and sort of how you can create a dish that where the dairy is really the in each course. Um, so it's a, it's a nice idea and it creates a lot of excitement and buzz on the day because they have to think on their feet. So they have to kind of create something there and then. So that's quite challenging. And whenever they're being paired up, you know, the French yeah. and the Irish student, what way does that work? Is it kind of like potluck? You just randomly yeah. it, and then on that day, that that final competition day, that's maybe the first time that they've met each other. Completely, Sharon. Yeah. So we have sort of a coffee and pastry at 8 a.m. in the morning before they start cooking at nine. But that's the first time they kind of meet each other. And then what's also interesting about the competition, as you can imagine, is the language challenges right so I mean you know uh, I suppose we're all mother tongue English but the French students wouldn't probably sometimes have quite limited English and so it's amazing how they can communicate actually without speaking so if you're watching them cooking they just manage to you know communicate through I suppose just activity and sign language almost and, and how cooking can cross barriers and language barriers that they just manage to create a three-course menu where they're not maybe verbalizing throughout the, the cooking time with each other. And yet they create these beautiful results uh, that are judges. So that, that, that was quite interesting as well. And in terms then of the skills that they require as a result of entering this competition, it's certainly not limited to the cooking skills. There's the communication skills, yes. the teamwork. They learn so much from it by the signs of it. Exactly, Sharon, completely. So it's like, you know, cross-cultural piece where you're, you know, meeting students from other parts of the world and you're learning from them. So they're skilled with that each of them learn from the other, um, which I think is really, really good. And then, as you say, it's absolute teamwork, right? Because you've got to work in pairs. You've got to work with the other person. You've got to see in terms of timings, because it's strictly timed as well. They were given two hours each pair to produce, which isn't actually a huge amount of time. It seems like it's a lot of time, but... If you're working under pressure like that, you know, it, it, it can be challenging. So you do really have to use great teamwork skills to create, I think, uh, the, the, the lovely dishes that were produced. Now, and tell us about the, the lovely dishes that were produced, because I'm sure whenever you, you think about the, the dairy ingredients available in Ireland and France, like there's some of the, the most fabulous flavours and tastes there. So tell us about the, the winners and what they made. Yeah, just amazing concepts where they would have used, for example, whey, butter, milk, some really interesting sort of not dairy products you'd normally use day to day, so slightly different parts of where they, they kind of separated the curds and whey and used the whey in a dish and used um, the, 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 the curds in another dish. Um, so very kind of um, innovative use of dairy. Another, the winning pair also made ricotta by, by hand on the day. So that's an incredibly innovative piece because, you know, you can make it reasonably quickly, but, you know, it would normally be easier just to buy it, but they actually used it in their, I think it was their starter dish where they used a handmade ricotta that they made that day. So that was incredibly innovative. And then I think the use of different cheeses from France and Ireland. There was a Munster, which is a type of um, hard cheese in France, was used along with the Coulini from Ireland and how the two cheeses marry together in one dish can be really interesting cross-section of flavours. Um, so that worked really, really well. And then I think as we would celebrate so hugely in Ireland, our grass-fed dairy has such a distinctive taste, particularly our butter, because in Ireland we have quite a yellow distinctive colour to our butter because of the grass-fed omega-3 in Irish cows, whereas in France, they tend to use a lot more unsalted butter. So it's paler in colour, 
bit like Danish butter. So it has a you know different texture and taste. So um, it was again how they married the two types of so the kind of more grass-fed dairy butter with the unsalted French style butter in the dishes that were produced. So that it was really, really interesting to see. And I just loved how they thought outside the box in terms of just not using your standard dairy, but using buttermilk that may not be normally used, using whey, using the curds, making ricotta, using dairy from different countries. It just, it, it just created a really interesting um, and peas. And then the other thing that they did um, was use a blue cheese in a dessert, which again is quite an unusual. So I think it was a, a blue d'Auvergne uh, that the winning team used in their dessert, which is you know, quite unusual to have um, uh, blue cheese used in dessert, but it was married with, with a poached pear, which actually, as you would know, works very well. That kind of sweet, sour cheese, blue cheese with the fruit can work very, very well. So that was also an interesting uh, thing that they did. So all in all, I think there was great innovation shown um, on the day. And when you look at the profile of some of Ireland's top chefs, getting yourself in front of a very esteemed food writer like John McKenna at the very start of your career is yeah. is really fantastic. Yeah, it really is. I think it was a great honour. And also, the, you know, the prestige of having um, the head chef from the Ministry of Food in Paris, which is like highly prestigious. Um, and the guy from the Irish Embassy, head chef from the Irish Embassy in, in, in Paris. So very high level prestigious judges. And also Paula Stakelin, who is head chef at Africast, but also a culinary head of pastry chef um, output for Red Coronation Hotel Group. So she's overseeing about 16 different hotels around the world, um, which, which is just a huge responsibility. So you had really prestigious um, judges. And obviously, as you know, Sharon, John McKenna and Sally have just produced 100 best restaurants in Ireland, I think it was last weekend with the Sunday Times. So, you know, they're, they're, they're really knowledgeable um, about what they, you know, what they do and, and, and taste and flavour and cooking. So it was really quite an honour to have such high level judges, I think, uh, for the students as well, really added to the event. And there is no denying that at the moment the hospitality industry is crying out for chefs. So the opportunities that entering a competition and winning the competition, but also just entering a competition of this nature, the doors that it can open for you really cannot be underestimated. Yeah, completely, completely. Because it is, as you know, Sharon, post-pandemic and in so many industries, but hospitality, a huge amount. In fact, every door you're passing now, they're, they're looking for they're looking for staff. It's incredible. It's really a struggle for the hospitality industry to get good people. So, you know, top chefs and top talent is always, um, you know, is always a need. So I think a competition like this would spearhead someone um, and, and they can put it on their CV going forward that they've won this very prestigious competition at such a young age. I mean, these guys are all being well under 21. It's a great accolade. And I think when they apply for their job as post-graduation to say that they won it is, is a huge, huge accolade. I know there's competitions like Eurotalk that people like Mark Moriarty have won in the past. And you look at where his career has gone. It's, it's you know, they can be really, really valuable um, in terms of raising someone's profile at a very young age, even as a student. Um, and I suppose the opportunity to get into maybe a top kitchen um, on graduation is, 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 is ultimately, I suppose, where everyone wants to go. Absolutely. And I think it is fair to say that the world is definitely their oyster whenever it comes to, to being a chef. It'll take you anywhere in the world. Completely. And that's the great thing. It's one of those things like other other industries and other skills that people have. You can work 
anywhere in the world with this, right? So the world really is your oyster, which is fantastic uh, that people can travel. Well, if people want to find out more about the competition and to read a bit more about the individual students and the dishes, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, if they go to www.ndc.ie, nationaldairycouncil.ie, and the latest press releases up there with the photos, etc. And also on the French Embassy website for Ireland. And if they Google it, they'll get into the French Embassy website for Ireland and they have the full details as well um, on on the winners, etc. So... Um, all the information is there. Felicitation to all the way <laughs> to them all. And before we, we say au revoir tonight, Cathy, <laughs> the National Dairy Council is involved in a couple of other very exciting initiatives at the moment. You've plans in place to have a garden at Bloom this year. That's correct, Sharon. Yeah, we're really excited. Um, we've never actually taken part in Bloom. Um, obviously, there was a two-year hiatus of the in-person event due to the pandemic. So they're back um, on the, the June Bank Holiday weekend in Phoenix Park. So it's from the 1st to the 6th of June. And we will be um, having a garden at the event that will talk about sustainable dairy production. So the garden will essentially tell the story of how Ireland's dairy production is, I suppose, one of the top in the world, one of the most sustainable in the world, um, and telling the story from sort of farm to fridge of how we produce um, arguably or unarguably the best dairy produce in the world. So that's um, a garden that we're going to have across the, the six days. And we're going to have a number of really exciting speakers and celebrities dropping in to take part in panel discussions um, and tastings across the six days. So that's happening in June. You can buy the tickets on the Board B website directly. They're for sale now. Um, and as I say, it is on for five days this year, which gives people a really nice opportunity from the Thursday to the Monday to, to go along and along with the gardens, the show gardens themselves, it's a huge uh, food um, element that goes on every year as well, along with an artisan food producer market, plus entertainment, plus talks, etc. So it's, it's an amazing event, um, Bloom, if anyone has never been before, I'd really recommend going along. Um, and then the second thing we're involved with this year after a hiatus also is Electric Picnic, which takes place the first weekend in September, and the National Dairy Council are sponsoring Tour de Picnic, which is essentially a run or cycle to Strad Valley in County Meath or County Leash, should I say, um, for charity. So people get sponsored to cycle or run to the event from Dublin. I think it starts in Tala and then it runs a special route down to Strad Valley. And you need to raise some sponsorship for it. But there's a number of really good um, charities this year. Ronald McDonald, Laura Lynn, amongst others. So great opportunity. You get free tickets into the event and you're raising money for charity. And we'll have lovely fuel stops on the way with delicious milkshakes and tasty milk treats and toasted cheese sandwiches to keep everyone fueled. Um, but that's taking place. And again, if you want some more information, it's www.ndc.ie. Or if you Google Tour to Picnic as part of EP, you'll also get information with a link um, on how to take part. There's also a donation link and charity link at give to go which is a, a website that manages charity donations and fundraising. So if you go to those um, pages, you'll find out more information on how to register and take part in Tour de Picnic 2022. Brilliant, Cathy. And two, two amazing events that people will be delighted to see back this year, Bloom mm. and Electric Picnic. I have to say, personally, I enjoy both of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're great. And I'm very excited to get back to Bloom. I always went to an EP 
I'm really excited to go to again this year. It'll be, I'd say, a massive event this year just because of the two-year gap. People will be more excited than ever to, to take part and go along and listen to live music and hear great talks and have lovely food, you know. Uh, so it's great. Great to see them back again, the live events. So much to look forward to. And we really appreciate you taking the time to tell us all about it tonight, Cathy. And we might talk to you again closer to the time about Bloom and Electric Picnic just to find out more whenever more of the details are finalised. Brilliant. I'd love that, Sharon. Love to chat to you again. That's brilliant. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to Cathy Curran, Communications Manager with the National Dairy Council to find out about the 2022 Dairy Chef competition. And earlier on in the programme, Food writer and consultant Ali Dunworth told us about an array of wonderful Irish chefs who are London-based and making a huge impression on the food scene. And as Ali said in the interview, her article London Calling that featured in the April issue of Food & Wine magazine is available online if you would like to read it in full. If you're just tuning in now and you've missed all of that, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as all the usual podcast places including iTunes and the podcast app. And that brings us to the end of the programme tonight. But before we finish up, a quick shout out to 1826 Adair. In my chat with Cathy Curran just before the break, Cathy mentioned Mark Moriarty, who won the Eurotalk Young Chef of the Year competition a few years ago and then went on to win the world competition. Well, Mark is the guest chef working with 1826 Adair chef patron Wade Murphy to celebrate 1826 Adair's ninth birthday in a couple of weeks time. Unfortunately it's all booked up but I am sure you'll join me in congratulating Wade and Elaine on their ninth anniversary. I cannot believe it is nine years. Thanks to all of you for listening tonight and to my guests Ali Dunworth and Cathy Curran. I'm taking a break for a couple of weeks to enjoy Easter with the family and I hope you have a great one and get to indulge in copious amounts of chocolate eggs. Until next time, Bon Appetit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon Appetit.